Hello, I'm Rena Grobe, and I'm Madhvi Romani, and this is Misinformed, where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So, Madhvi, what did you get obsessed with this week? Dudes and food. The writer Dr. Emily Contois, who is an assistant professor of media studies at the University of Tulsa. Has just written a new book called Diners, Dudes, and Diets, where she talks about how gender and consumer culture are entwined, and specifically, she focuses on food. And food—it's so closely related to our bodies and ourselves, our very beings. It's so important to us, and it's so gendered as well. Like everything, you know, if you put it into context, if you think about it in terms of cultural constructs, there's so much there. I think more than ever, we've become really food focused, right? With Instagram, with all the magazines, with all the YouTube videos, I regularly watch stuff that I have no intention of ever cooking. I just like watching other people cooking things. There's this YouTube phenomenon of people watching people eat, right? People watching people eat. Yes, it's a thing. Oh, like, do you mean mukbang? Mukbangs. Yeah, exactly. So Dominica recently explained to me what a mukbang was. And it's just—I think it's where you buy everything off a menu and see how much you can gorge yourself on it. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I had yeah. So you order it at home and you're sitting by yourself and just eating、yeah. it, and then yeah, exactly. And it's filmed. It's a massive thing. People watching people on YouTube. Anyway, so <laughs> there's a lot going on in our world, and a lot is reflected in food. In this book, Contois—I'm going to say her name like it's French, even though she's American. She focuses on the phenomenon of the dude. Which she says is a type of masculinity that arose after the recession, when traditional kind of masculinities, you know, that kind of breadwinning, competitive type of male, was I don't know unattainable. So in order to still be masculine, but kind of redefine themselves because of this crisis of what is a man. The idea of the dude came up, and she really goes into this. What does dude say about our perceptions of gender, and how does it relate, also, of course, to feminism and how women view their bodies? Because by understanding all these patriarchal constructs, you know, it sheds light on everything. Yeah, I mean, the chapter within the book that I got really hung up on was the chapter where she talks about diets and and weight loss and all of these things. In the chapter, she looks at this idea of. Diet Coke specifically versus Coke Zero, and just about the branding and marketing and how they were marketed to be more masculine. And one of the things that she like really focused on is just like specifically the word diet, and about how the word diet is deemed as being a feminine concept because it draws parallels to restraint, lack, and unrealness. Thus, qualities that are associated with women, right? Women are supposed to restrain themselves to yeah, take up less space, and also the idea of policing、exactly. and shaping women's bodies.、Mm-hmm. Yes, in order to get men to consume diet sodas, they had to not just rebrand it, but give it its entire separate identity. So, Coke Zero, they made the packaging black versus the silver of the diet Coke. I know that some people argue that Diet Coke and Coke Zero taste different, but they're the same thing. They're just branded differently. You know what? I've never actually considered the fact that there's Diet Coke and, and there's Coke, Coke Zero. Zero.、Mm-hmm. Also, what's what with Pepsi Max? Is there a Diet Pepsi? Yeah, there there's is Pepsi. There's Diet Pepsi. 
And there's Pepsi Max. Ah, so it's male and female. Or, I don't know. I don't know that much about Pepsi, to be honest. But <laughs> Coke Zero was created to appeal to a male audience to seem more masculine. Studies done by Coke executives where they sort of say that the way that they market their products for women with this idea of significantly lacking calories, thus it's more feminine, right? It's lacking. There's always a lack of something. So that this idea that silver specifically is associated with lack and lack of calories and thus feminine. She also made a really interesting point about how they found that Coke Zero was more successful in Australia with a black can because it sort of drew parallels to the rugby team, the All Blacks, and thus like bringing this idea of sports and ruggedness, masculinity. So New Zealand is All Blacks. Yes. Did I say Australians? Yeah. So I guess the All Blacks are popular in Australia as well. And they did the study in Australia. So this parallel between sports and Hmm. just basically that to market Coke Zero, they had to change everything. They had to give it a more quote unquote masculine typeface, the branding, the packaging, everything about it had to be so different. Yeah. So interesting, isn't it? Marketing diet stuff to men But she starts off with a brief history of dieting culture. And actually, when dieting culture started in the mid-19th century, it was first aimed at men because there was this shift from the rural to the urban and this idea of manliness changed completely. It was also in crisis. It's a bit like the word dude sort of gained prominence because of this crisis, this gender sort of construct crisis. It's also when the word masculinity entered our language, this idea of how you could still be a man even though you were in the city. And if you were getting fat in the city, you were seen as feminized. It was a feminine body because women were soft and round. So it was only in like the 1920s that diet culture and weight loss products, things like that started being marketed to women, which just helps you see how we think about these things as so gendered, you know, salads versus meats and diet versus all fat and everything. But 100 years ago, it was completely different. She draws this parallel later also where she talks about how weight loss companies, when they try to market their weight loss regimes, they will create specific programs for men. But also the emphasis of the diet is different. So for women, it's all about cutting out things and stuff. And for men, it's like, no, you can still eat normal. You can still have your French fries, your chicken wings. So it's not about lacking. It's about maintaining. She goes on to elaborate the way that they market yogurt specifically. So for women, it'll have things like healthy and sugar-free and all of these things. And she mentions one very specific yogurt company that marketed its tool as this will help you find your abs and about like was it the yogurt container which was in the shape of abs the greek yogurt container i don't know that but they use like john stamos to be like this greek yogurt from full house because he's greek so they sort of play on this idea of muscles and masculinity and she says something interesting here which The yogurt and the supposed way it'll help you lose weight or, you know, they're not obviously going to say that, but they emphasize that it's like high protein and that it'll help you get abs and thus seduce women. One of the things like with the yogurt, how stuff is marketed towards men, there's such a contradictory element because one is that you should have this ideal male form almost, this kind of muscular, kind of this traditional idea of a masculine form. And on the other hand, You should absolutely not care about dieting. And it's a kind of contradiction. And she said a lot of studies have shown that men also have very similar 
preoccupations in similar kind of percentages nowadays with women about their body image and stuff like that. Toxic masculinity has led to body, like you're saying, like body image things. Obviously, men care about the way that they look, but it's just, it's framed so differently. Yeah, because they have to not care about the way they look, but they have to still look a certain way, but they still have to eat maximum flavor, hot stuff, big portions, all of that powerful... Yeah. It's almost harder. You're being controlled via the back door. Do you know what I mean? Like, at least, like... It's mixed messages. It's all mixed over the messages. At least we just get your supposed to be really thin yeah. <laughs> and not eat, not take up any resources <laughs> or space. <laughs> They're just, like, all over the place. It's pretty straightforward for women, isn't it? We're supposed to be tiny. We're supposed to not eat. But also, thinking about women, though, there is not, I think, one single woman that I know that is not very controlled in how she eats or at least thinking about it or at least yeah that it's a really important part of her life that clean eating healthy eating nutritious food trying new recipes trying to detox there are so many vegan gluten-free all of that stuff as well of course which is a little bit towards environment sustainability but women are the ones that i see in my world that are controlling their diet yeah, this know. health food craze. Like, I'm all for healthy eating. Once anything becomes, I don't want to say a trend, but we need to be very careful and we need to really closely investigate what becomes popular, why? Because eating healthy is just, it's diet culture in disguise. If you disguise it as a health concern, it's still controlling, it's still dieting. She does mention in her analysis, like, clean eating combines the raced and the classed edicts of healthyism with the anxieties of modernity, impurity, and control. And that really rung true to me. And we've talked about it, obviously, in, in this podcast before. There was that one psychologist who talks about this idea that we there's a new phenomenon happening where people are so obsessed with clean eating that it's turned into an eating disorder. The wellness craze has created a new problem. Yeah, it's also racist and classist, and it also is really neoliberal in its outlook because it places the blame or the responsibility for all of your eating habits squarely on the individual and food culture and our relationship to food is way more complicated mm -hmm. than that. Yeah, healthy eating is incredibly classist and it's expensive to eat healthy. Yeah, and who hasn't done it that you go into a McDonald's and you see a really fat person eating a burger and you judge them straight away. And the judgment, it reminds me a lot of, I was reading, I love Roxane Gay, I don't know, everyone who listens to this podcast knows this by now, but Roxane Gay is notoriously, you know, big. She has been, because of her size, people think she's stupid. When she turns up to places, they're like, oh, it's, you're the author? They just think she's the cleaner or something. There's so many judgments that we put on people who are fat or eat unhealthy as well, which is another layer to this whole food debate thing. In the TV show My Mad Fat Diary, which is based on the real-life diaries of the author, the character Ray says this thing, if I eat unhealthy, people then will think, look at that fat cow, no wonder she got that size. And if I eat healthy food, then people think, well, who are you trying to kid, love? You didn't get to that size eating salads. And one of the main themes within the show is just how Ray feels, regardless of what she does. As a bigger person, her identity, her existence is constantly policed, and everyone feels kind of free to just comment on it. 
people will come up to her concerned for her health. If, you know, she was incredibly thin and she was eating the way she would. Like, it's like Jennifer Lawrence, you know, has the privilege to talk about how much she enjoys eating. Well, yeah, because she's stick thin and nobody criticizes her for it. I think Rebel Wilson has pointed this out, being like, if I talked the way that Jennifer Lawrence did, I would be ripped to shreds. But Jennifer Lawrence is like a stick thin mm. young woman. Has and, and a lot of women can just eat and eat and eat and yeah, nothing. Absolutely. And so, you know, there is a, a lot of privilege that comes along with what you can and cannot eat and people's public opinions of you. Because we do. We, we judge people based on their appearance. Totally. She does say something super interesting about the paleo diet. She talks about how the paleo diet took off because it evangelizes Darwin medicine and promotes the eating habits of stone-aged hunter-gatherers. And so it encourages us as dieters to eat like a caveman and provoking purposefully masculine imagery. And she talks about how when the paleo diet took off, it inspired a lot of... Because things like the Atkins diets and all of the other diets are very heavily marketed towards women. And if you can promote cookbooks and diets as being cavemen-like, you know, man cave cave, you can sort of in a masculine sort of way, because it's all about protein and high fiber and it's just a lot of things that you can just associate with very masculine imagery and maybe dude imagery as well because like i said the dude was born out of the recession and stuff and then they were questioning like what is masculine again what is a man and because also with millennials you know they're moving out later that adulting is a thing that they're kind of fighting against they're not this kind of slick metropolitan thing they're more kind of you know not so into the city kind of civilized you know they're more like in touch with their real selves but it's interesting about the history of the word dude which was appropriated from black and latino culture but when i think of dudes i always think of those surfer types those white slackers or that kind of stuff Dude, where's my car but it did start off in black latino culture as an alternative or like however the word was masculine alternative to the white middle class man Mm. and then it was appropriated again by white men to keep them above everyone else in the little hierarchy of patriarchal culture and i guess paleo kind of really fits into that it's still strong it's still caveman it's still masculine Mm. even though it's not yeah i mean she emphasizes how a lot of weight loss programs when they market, like Weight Watchers, when they market things towards women, it's all about healthy shopping and what are the healthy things you can prepare. Whereas when they market their weight loss programs towards men, it's a lot about what you can grab on the go, which pre-prepared food, you know, anything that is in any way domestic or coded as female cannot be involved in the male weight loss program. No, right. And um, also similarly, things that are to do with shopping, caring, domestic cooking is still seen as very feminine and kind of lower. Whereas when a man cooks, you know, he's a chef and he's doing new and out brilliant things. And Yeah, why is it that women do most of the domestic cooking, but all the celebrity chefs, not all, but the majority of them are men? Exactly. As somebody asked, watching this comedy thing about Gordon Ramsay just swearing a lot because Gordon Ramsay just swears and just loses his temper in its particularly masculine kind of way. It's a bit like male writers always talk about bleeding at the typewriter and stuff, like they're doing something that is 
like going to war and they're, they're the head of a ship or something. Gordon Ramsay runs his kitchen like that. And in the end, it's just dinner, mate. You know, your mum is doing it every single day, more high pressure than, than you are because, you know, she's working and going shopping and dealing with her children and all this kind of stuff right at the same time. But yeah, it's this playing of masculinity that they have to play at the masculinity while doing a feminine thing. Otherwise, they will feel feminized and that's yeah. bad. Apparently, Weight Watchers had to create an entire online system just for men because men didn't like going to Weight Watchers meetings. And she talks in the book about how they couldn't, when they were talking about what they had eaten, they couldn't be like, oh, I I didn't stick to my diet this week, but instead had to phrase everything like, oh, during the game, I snacked on so many chicken wings. Like there always had to be a hyper masculine sort of force behind discussing what they were eating. And then she says something interesting about how she calls it the Weight Watchers closet, you know, like men are in the closet about being dieters or being part of diet programs. But after the Super Bowl, Monday after the Super Bowl, the most men sign up to not to Weight Watchers because, you know, they see these athletes or they eat too much. And there's a sort of. Wow. Yeah. Similarly, with cookbooks, cookbooks that are aimed at men, written by men. Besides everything else, like they have way less desserts, <laughs> like one page of desserts, because men make food, but they don't bake desserts like sweet dishes. <laughs> I This week, my mom... I love hearing about your mom. Yes, thank you. This week, she was talking to me about Heinrich Böll, the German author, post-World War II, and about how he wrote about something he called lächerliche Männlichkeit, laughable masculinity, I guess. After he fought in the war... He looked back on everything he had experienced in like, this macho culture of war and tanks, and he was like, this is pathetic. And he was very against that and started openly criticizing it, what we would nowadays call toxic masculinity. So a recent report from Prumundo and Axe, we know that toxic masculinity costs American an estimated $15.7 billion each year. American men spend $15.7 billion a year. Did they say what on? Because it can't just be chicken, fiery chicken wings. <laughs> it's like guns, probably. Yeah, so the study itself is called The Cost of the Man Box, a study on the economic impact of harmful masculine stereotypes in the United States. Things that are included are vanity things, binge drinking, traffic accidents, because, you know, macho culture and driving quickly. There's also depression. They spend money on it? You can get that for free. Someone <laughs> should tell them. <laughs> I, think, I think it's not on depression itself, but all of the byproducts of being depressed but not accepting it because toxic masculinity doesn't allow you to talk about your mental health. I think that's what they mean. In this study again, and this is something we've mentioned on this podcast, I'm going to need everyone everywhere to correct this statistic because they keep bringing up men and suicide and they keep bringing up this figure but they didn't. well they say they say that men are twice as likely to die by suicide which is true but it's only half of the story women attempt suicide more men are just more successful i think we've talked about like 10 of it i know but i keep every time i come across this statistic i'm like this is such misleading and it's true but it's not true but this thing is just focusing on men Yes, it's just focusing on men, but they bring out the statistic again where they say men are twice as likely to die by suicide as women are, with harmful gender norms being one of the key drivers of men's suicidal 
ideation or suicidal tendencies. And like, um, we'll link to this study below and you can read about the man box and how toxic masculinity is costing men a lot of money. And a lot of the times when we talk about feminism, I think that people forget that feminism is also for men and that feminism isn't to advance women's place in the world, but striving to have a more equal society for all. Toxic masculinity is very much a feminist issue. In this book, actually, she writes as an author that she's kind of struggled to write about men without centering men, and she says exactly the same thing. It's about gender constructs and shedding a light on masculinity helps shed a light on femininity and feminism in general. Here are our three things that you can do this week to be a better person. Thing one... Don't ever comment on someone's physical appearance unless it's something they can fix in 10 seconds or more. This means tell someone if they have something in their teeth, if their fly is open. Don't comment on whether or not you think someone's gained or lost weight because you never know the psychological implications behind that. Thing two, when you're out shopping, just know that all advertising is manipulating you in terms of gender. So look out for that and try and spot it. And also try and maybe thwart it because in the end it reinforces a load of gender stereotypes and makes everyone miserable in the end because they can't live up to them. Thing three, men, be more feminist and look out for the other men in your life and interrogate what you're eating and how you're talking to one another about food. And what comments you make to them about what they're eating, what you're eating, and just your bodies in general. Yes. Feminism is in your interest too. Until next time. Goodbye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsession with us. Tweet us and follow us on Instagram at the underscore misinformed or email us at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. Find the link via our Instagram or our show notes. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can give a one-off donation via SoundCloud or become a patron on patreon.com slash misinformed. Thanks for listening and until next week.